Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see your nice and tired faces. Some of you look a little more uh, tired and weary than the rest of us, so congratulations to you. You have apparently been working hard this weekend, but it is uh, good uh, to be with you. It's good to see uh, faces from um, a while ago, faces that uh, we've known for so long, and good to see some new faces uh, with us this morning. Uh, We find ourselves um, in a series as we talk about some What are some of the values that make new life unique? Not better, not worse than, but what are some things that kind of describe uh, who God has made us as a church to be? Some of those values are the idea of kingdom building, that uh, we want to be a people that are engaged in our community, and we're making disciples who make disciples. had a conversation briefly yesterday uh, with... um, an older Christian man, he's like, yeah, we should really be doing that. Um, And I'm like, yeah, we should. (laughs) That's kind of what we as the church um, are called um, to do as God's people. It's a value for us. We also value biblical community where we seek to encourage and serve uh, one another here in the body. We value transformative grace knowing that God accepts us by a sheer act of his grace, not because of anything that we are or do or will ever do, but he accepts us because of his grace. And we welcome and extend his grace to others, regardless of where they are in their spiritual journey. We also value godly servant leadership, following the example of Christ and his servant leadership, his humility and his self-sacrifice. Last week, Ryan shared with us the value of biblical authority, the proclamation of the gospel, and the personal application of biblical truth. And today, the value that we want to talk about is the value of intimacy with God. We as a people are deeply committed to growing in our intimacy with God, prayerfully seeking his empowerment and his direction to become more like Christ, reflecting his character and his priorities. So as I thought back this week into Scripture and began to think about what are some of those examples in God's Word of people who are intimate with God, and I created this long list, and I thought that we would just sit here and talk about every one of them for about 20 minutes each today. Um, Nope, not doing that. Um, But just a few kind of rose to the top. You know, here's this moment with Moses where he comes down off of the mountain after spending time in the presence of God, and his face literally glowed. We're reminded of King David, and he was called a man after God's own heart, of Mary, the sister of Martha, who clearly chose what was better, to sit at the feet of Jesus, and certainly the Apostle Paul, who gladly um, endured great pain just to know Jesus. The scriptures are full of people who have spent um, intimate time with the Lord, and the lives have been forever changed. And maybe you've got some people in, in your life that as you think about those people, like, man, those people just seem to really be at peace. They seem to have um, the power of God um, in their words um, and in their deeds. There's one such man that um, I met, uh, good grief, um, 2000, so just a little over 20 years ago. His name was Mr. Johnson. And this is a picture from a missions trip in McDowell County, West Virginia, where we got to 
uh, serve uh, Mr. Johnson and his family. Mr. Johnson is obviously there in the center um, in the wheelchair. And we actually got to go to his house a couple years to do different things, from uh, painting his house to um, the first year we actually went, which was probably the most impactful to us. Uh, Sarah and I were on the road with um, 10 uh, high school students. And uh, to give you an idea, there were two guys. One was, if you remember the early 2000s, where like homeschoolers were like really, really weird. Do I remember this time? They're still weird. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Um, so are you. Um, <laughs> so as long as we're clear. So we had mostly these, these homeschool kids, and I have one kid that he, he went to the thrift store like he often does, and he wore these red, bright red painter's pants, and he had this bright orange shirt. Um, you remember the Where's the Beef commercials? Uh, for some of you have been around a while. So it was that Where's the Beef Lady? And he would wear that um, more often than he should on a missions trip. So there we were uh, with a couple of guys and um, actually eight girls that probably weighed uh, 80 pounds each. I mean, just really small group the first year we were there. And we were tasked with um, putting drain tile around Mr. Johnson's house. And I'm like, I don't... I don't even know what drain tile is. <laughs> They're like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll help you. And the guy that was helping us, he didn't really know what it was either. So, so there we, we found ourselves in the back of Mr. Johnson's house because it's on the edge of a mountain. And the, the water was coming off of the mountain and kind of washing his house away. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, the foundation of Mr. Johnson's house was random tree stumps, like underneath his house. Not like strategically put tree stumps. That would have been better. Um, they were just random tree stumps underneath his house that held it up. As the water came, those began to go away. So Mr. Johnson's house was in danger of washing away. So we had a long, long week, which I could tell you many stories about. But the story that sticks out the most is that each and every day that we were at Mr. Johnson's home, we would um, bring um, kind of a devotional um, a little Bible study to share during our lunchtime, and we would invite um, the Johnson family to come out with us. And sometimes we would also go into Mr. Johnson's house um, just to sit and talk with him because he really couldn't come out uh, to help us paint, to help us do drain tile in his, in his backyard. And we would spend time with Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson uh, experienced many things in his life. Um, obviously, um, the skin color of Mr. Johnson when he was serving in World War II meant that he was not allowed to carry a gun. Mr. Johnson worked in the coal mines, and because of the color of his skin, was relegated some of the worst or most awful tasks that uh, no one wants to do in the bottom of a coal mine. But Mr. Johnson didn't seem to dwell on those things or those stories because Mr. Johnson, when you spent time with him, you realized that this, this is a man who has been with God. I mean, you can tell, right? And instead of us kind of sharing our, um, our thoughts on Scripture and our devotions that we had prepared, we actually sat there at lunch or at times in his living room, and we would just listen to Mr. Johnson share and there just seemed to be such this, a great peace about Mr. Johnson. There seemed to be um, just great power in his words as he talked about the Lord and what the Lord had done in his life. And I am forever impacted by Mr. Johnson, forever impacted by 
Moses and the Apostle Paul and Mary and so many more in Scripture as we see that they have this intimate relationship with the Lord. But if we're honest, we know that that's not the story of of the church altogether, is it? Because if that was the, the case, I mean, certainly we would see, if we were to chart it on a graph, we would see that it's constantly going up, right? That from the, from the fall of, of mankind in the garden to now, that we as a human race, as human beings, we would be markedly better than what we were in the garden, right? But as we look at Scripture, as we experience life, we just kind of see this over and over again, just kind of peaking, capping out, and we begin from time to time to just pursue other things other than God. Sin comes into our lives, and um, we no longer want to pursue the Lord. We no longer want to spend time at his feet. And you see a church today that isn't known at times for great peace. It isn't known uh, for having uh, great power or authority. We oftentimes see a church that's broken and weak. And as we look at individuals within the church, and this isn't an indictment on all of us by, by any stretch, but we see that as individuals, there's not a lot of peace at times either. There's not a lot of power. Churches oftentimes seem to have this idea that um, it's kind of like the field of dreams. That's if we build this building or this program that the people will come. But people aren't attracted to those things, or at least for long. People want to experience the presence of God. So why is it that uh, the church, the people of God, seem to, um, at times, and maybe many times, be weak? I think this simple idea that people lack empowerment and peace because they limit God's capacity. And they limit God's capacity because they limit their intimacy with God. We just don't sit at his feet. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. So would you pray with me? God, we indeed are grateful for today. God, we know that today um, has... Um, many joys and many troubles. God, we know that there are things that you have for us. And God, my prayer today is that you would simply speak to us. God, that we would hear your voice. God, that as a result of today, that we would know that you desire to dwell in us. And you indeed do that. And God, may we be strengthened because we've spent time with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to camp out um, there this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 14. In verse 14, Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, as he often does, he has many words. Um, Just in these few short verses, there are many things packed in there, things of power and things that I want us to kind of break down um, just a little bit. So going back to verse 14 through 16, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees. Well, what is this reason? To understand that, we have to go back to verse 1, which also um, says, (laughs) for this reason. We need to go back to where it says that through Jesus Christ, we have access to God the Father, through the spirit that lives inside all believers. It also tells us in the previous passages that because we are citizens together of the household of God, that we together as his people are citizens of the household of God. It also tells us that this household of God has Jesus as the cornerstone along with the prophets and the apostles as the foundation of it. We're reminded in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, It says, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Ephesians 2.22, in just the next verse, it says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This idea that we're being joined together as God's people, both Jew and Gentile, joined together that we grow into the holy temple of the Lord, that we're being built together, not just for no reason, but we're being built together into a dwelling place for God. So we have to ask the question, is God dwelling with us? Is he here with us? Paul says, for this reason... Because we belong to the household of God, because we've been made a dwelling place by God's Spirit, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees. I bow my knees to Him, to Him alone. Paul goes on in verse 16, he says, according to the riches of His glory. This glory is what we can see of His greatness. It is His plan here to demonstrate the power of the gospel to unite all believers, Jew and Gentile, under the headship of Christ and to give them a name. And he calls us the church, the called out ones. According to the riches of his glory, sometimes his glory, we can't see it. 
It's unfathomable, which is a fun word to say. Unfathomable. I feel like Bugs Bunny uh, there for a second. His glory at times, we can't quite comprehend it. His riches have no end. It's important for us to realize that he is the one who dwells in us. I mean, isn't that good news? That he dwells in us. His spirit resides within us. And everything that comes after this in this passage is according to the riches of God's glory. So what is that, you say? What is it that Paul is praying for? He's praying that the church in Ephesus would be strengthened with power. God strengthens, strengthens us with power. Have you ever felt weak spiritually, emotionally, mentally? I mean, think about some of those moments in our lives where we feel weak or those times in our lives we feel strong because of something else and we realize, in fact, that we indeed are weak. Here we're reminded um, by Paul's words that God strengthens us with his power. And Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, and he's praying for them that they would be strengthened in such a way according to the riches of God's glory. How does that happen? It's through the Spirit, the passage tells us in verse 16. Keep in mind that we are being built together as a dwelling place for God. And God's doing that by His Spirit. He's not doing that through programs. He's not doing that through people. He is building His church together by His Spirit. And we're also to be strengthened with power. It reminds us through His Spirit. So where does that happen? It tells us, in our inner being. Not in our advertisements, not in our logos, not in our buildings. We are strengthened with power in our inner being. Romans 7, 22, it says this, For I delight in the law of God. Where? In my inner being. 2 Corinthians 4 says, So we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. So, just a quick survey. How many of you feel like our outer selves are wasting away? Those of you who don't, you're clearly under 20. <laughs> Congratulations, you will in just a few short years. Our outer selves are wasting away. We're experiencing pain, sickness, illness. We can't do the, the things that we used to be able to do. Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. But as we think about that, that our inner selves are being renewed day by day, is that true? Do we see the evidence of that in, in our own individual lives? Do we see the evidence of that in the church at large? Sometimes I begin to wonder, why don't we see more evidence that God's people are growing stronger. Do we see that in the, our city? Do we see that in our country? And if not, why is it? 
So according to God's glory, we can be strengthened with power through God's spirit in our inner being. So what are some of the results of this strengthening? Look back to Ephesians 3, look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. To get back to it, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Remember chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you are also being built together to a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Sometimes I think that we think that um, our faith is just an individual faith and just an individual journey. I think we miss the fact that Paul here isn't just praying for individuals, he's praying for the church, that they would be growing together, that they would be strengthened together, that they together would be built into this dwelling place for God. In Galatians 2, we're reminded uh, again by Paul that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I ask you today, is Christ living in you today? Not just did you pray some prayer when you were six, but is Christ alive in you today? Do you see evidence of that? Do you, do you see the fact that we are to be strengthened in power? Sometimes I think that we take God for granted. But Paul reminds us that it is Christ who lives in us. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ living in me. We're also reminded in this passage that this word for dwell, it carries a couple of different meanings. Um, one is that it is the, uh, the sense of residing permanently, um, not temporarily, but permanently. It also has this connotation that Christ is at home in us. Not that he is a guest, <laughs> but that he is at home in our lives. I mean, imagine someone living in your home that you never speak to. Imagine what that would feel like if you're the one living there and no one ever speaks to you. You don't have a bed. You don't have a room. You're, you're just there, but no one really knows it. This word dwell isn't like that. It's that Jesus is at home in our lives. And then it says that we would be rooted and grounded in love, both an organic as well as um, an engineering term, rooted and grounded. In Ephesians 2, it reminds us that, that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, the fact that God loves us, that we would be people who are so deeply impacted by God's love for us, that it would become foundational to who we are. That we would not 
identify ourselves or our worth or our value or our purpose by where we grew up, by the color of our skin, by what neighborhood we live in, what job that we might have, how good our hair looks on a particular day, by how behaved our kids are or aren't, whether we like this sports team or, or that sports team, but that we would be so impacted, so rooted, so grounded in love that all of our life would be based on this foundation of God's love for us. Look at verse 18. That they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth that we would be able to understand, that we'd be able to comprehend this, this vastness of God. Not necessarily every detail, because certainly as finite human beings, we can't really understand that. But the immensity of how big and great that God is. Well, why don't, why don't we comprehend this? Why aren't we in awe of God every day of our lives, trusting Him beyond ourselves? Well, I submit to you that our view of God is just way too small. We almost view God at times as some sort of, you know, pocket God that I bring him out and I ask him questions when I need him and then I put him back or I take him out of the pocket and I ask him for stuff that I want and then I put him back. I think our view and in my view, if I was to confess today, my view of God, I think is way too small. But Paul here wants them to be strengthened so that they can comprehend the vastness of God. I heard an analogy this week that if, um, if I were to ask one of you to take this cup over to the, to the beach and, and get me a, a cup of water, you, you would, we wouldn't drink it, that'd be gross, but, but if I did, you know, you would take that cup and you would go to the beach, you'd go to the ocean, you'd, you'd bring the cup back and all that we would have is a cup of water. But if I told you to take this five-gallon bucket to the beach and to get a bucket of water, you would come back and certainly it's more than the cup, but all we have is a five-gallon bucket of water. I could say, well, take this, tanker truck and take it over to the beach and I want you to fill it up with water and certainly we would have more than the bucket and and more than the cup but all we would have is a tanker truck full of water. And I think oftentimes we view God that way. And even if I was to say we'll we'll go to the the ocean and, and, and bring all of the ocean back as though somehow we could do that. Certainly we would have more than a tanker truck and more than a bucket and more than a cup. We'd have the whole ocean of water. But even if we had the whole ocean of water and we were to compare that to the glory and the greatness of God, it still wouldn't compare. And sometimes I think that we keep God in a cup or a bucket, or a tanker truck. And our capacity 
for God in our lives is limited. Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus that they would have the strength to comprehend how incredibly big and awesome that God is. So what if it was Niagara Falls? Anybody been to Niagara Falls? Many of us. Uh, I went as a kid, and, you know, we would see pictures of it, and, of course, Internet didn't exist back then. Uh, but we would see pictures of it in magazines, and, oh, cool, that, that is, um, that'll be a cool place to go to. I was somewhat impressed by the pictures and the greatness of Niagara Falls. But I remember, but then we, we got there, and we would kind of walk around the rim of Niagara Falls. You begin to hear it. You begin to feel a little bit of the mist that's, that's coming up, and you hear the roar of the water that's falling and how big um, Niagara Falls is. And I was no longer um, impressed, but I am now personally affected um, by Niagara Falls. And many of you have been on the Maid of the Mist, which I didn't do. But I've got to imagine that getting on this boat and and putting on the, the raincoat and everyone up top watching this boat going up as close to the falls as you can. The, the roar of the water and the waterfall on the Maid of the Mist down in the bottom would be much, much, much greater than what I heard on the rim. The, the mist that I felt kind of coming up to the top on the rim wouldn't compare to the mist, to the water, to the immensity the power of the falls there as I'm up next to it. And I've talked to people over the years. They weren't just impacted. They weren't personally affected. But there on the Maid of the Mist, they were overwhelmed by the power of the falls. I think for us, I want to challenge us to have a larger capacity for God's greatness in our lives. He doesn't just want us to be impacted or affected. He wants us to have the strength to comprehend just how great and big he is. And it's not that that God is actually limited because God is limitless. But it seems to be true that oftentimes we limit how much of God we want to experience. And we make him into a cup or a bucket or a tanker truck. And we're never really overwhelmed by his greatness. My hope is that we would see more and more and more and more and more and more and more of God's greatness in our lives. Paul goes on in verse 19, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. That we would know the love of Christ. That we would know it. And it would be foundational to our lives. And not just like know it in the, in the way that we can make sense of it. But that we would know it in a way that it surpasses all knowledge and all words that we would be blown away. 
that we would be filled with all of the fullness of God. Colossians, Paul writes, he says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And to point those verses back to even Ephesians where it says that God is building up his people together so that he might dwell with them, that they might experience the greatness of God and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. So why don't we experience this? Why are churches oftentimes, why are individuals who claim to follow Christ, why are their lives marked by such dullness, by such weakness? I think it's simple. We're not at all connected to the source. We don't dwell, as the scriptures are saying here. We don't dwell. We're not intimate with God, and He is not with us because we limit this capacity. And for us to remember that all all these things that we're talking about is predicated on Christ dwelling in our hearts according to the riches of His glory that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we would have the strength to comprehend the vastness of God, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Friends, I think that we lack intimacy. And when we lack intimacy with God, our capacity is diminished, not because God's power is somehow actually limited, but rather because we fail to spend time with him and know how great and big and powerful that he actually is. So Paul closes this prayer addressing this very issue. Look back at Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul reminds the church in Ephesus that he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. God's able to do what we ask. He's able to do it. God's not sitting up there thinking, oh, man, if Ethan asks me for this big thing, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. It's too big. He's not. He's not worried. He's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. He's able to do what everyone asks. He has the power right now in this moment to answer every prayer and do everything all in a second. He is that powerful. He's able to do the things that we don't think he can. Even the ones that we don't think that he will. He is able to do those things far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And on top of that, he's able to do things that we would never even think of or dream of. He's capable to do those in a moment. He has the power to do that. God's capacity is not limited. It also tells us in these verses that it is according to the 
power at work within us. This power, Paul says, is at work within us. Not because we have this power, but because the Spirit dwells within us and we dwell with the Spirit. And when that Spirit is at home, living in our lives, and we are rooted and grounded in love according to the riches of His glory, God can do incredible things. Not because we're awesome, but because He is. So to know that it's not about us just somehow magically asking for the right thing in our prayers. It's about us spending time with Jesus, to sit at his feet, to spend time with him, to be intimate with Jesus. So the question becomes, if God desires to strengthen us with power so that he can dwell in our hearts, why do we lack this power? Because our capacity for God's presence is too small. Why is our capacity too small? It's because we don't pursue intimacy with him. We go to a church. And why don't we pursue intimacy with him? This is the hard one, if we're honest. It's because we idolize other things. We like our sin too much. So how will this value become ever more true in our lives? How will this be a value that marks those who call new life home? This idea that we are deeply committed to growing in intimacy with God, prayerfully seeking his empowerment and direction to become more like Christ, reflecting his character and his priorities. How will this value continue to grow in us? I think it's pretty simple. First, we have to turn from our idols and our sin. We have to name them and walk away from them. And second, we must learn to discipline ourselves and sit and dwell at the feet of Jesus. People lack empowerments because they limit God's capacity, because they lack intimacy with God. May we be a church that sees Paul's prayer come true, where we value intimacy with God and we see his power displayed in our lives. God, again, we're grateful for today. And we know that you have many challenges for us and you desire to be with us. God, although we are incredibly undeserving, God, we're grateful um, that you are patient with us. God, help us to spend time at your feet this week. God, that we um, would dwell with you as you have built us up together so that you might dwell with us. And God, may our capacity grow in ways that we've never imagined simply because we've been with you. May you increase in our lives. May we de decrease. May Paul's words that to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
be our mantra. And God, may we be blown away by your greatness this week. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um.